Amen. These are tremendous, tremendous days of opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you agree? And uh, this is a really, really important week here at Calvary Baptist Church as we reach out uh, with the gospel message, the great and glorious message that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to be among us, to take our sins and die for us. And, and this message is... Um, That, that, that's my son's guitar, Tom, which cost me a whole lot of money. It's hard to get good help these days. It really is. It really is. Anyway, these, these are, are really important and key times for us of ministry. And I, I'm going to ask that each of you would promise to pray every single day this week. Will you pray every day this week? for the presentations that are coming up this weekend and throughout the Christmas season. But let's concentrate uh, one week at a time. Let's pray this week for what's going on uh, for our musicians, our singers, our actors, uh, all the various people who, who make the presentation happen on this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, pray, pray, pray. Uh, it's not by might, not by strength. It's not by anything physical we do. But by my spirit, says the Lord, we have to call out on the Lord. So let's do that with great passion. Would you promise to pray every day? Would you do that? How many of you are, are inviting or bringing some lost people to this weekend? Can I see your hands? Well, you know, combined with the first services, hun several hundreds of you have put your hand up, which means several hundred people we believe are going to be here who don't know the Lord. And um, our desire is that they would come to know the Lord. Can you imagine if several hundred people came to know the Lord this coming weekend? Would that be something? Wow, that would be, it would be amazing. So, but we have to call in the Lord. We have to pray. And uh, let's lift up uh, our prayers. Let's not let each other down by failing to pray. So I really encourage you to do that. Um, great things. God is going to do great things. Um, so what am I preaching on today? If you, um, that guitar really threw me, I got to say. If, if you had um, a, an offer from someone for Christmas and they said, I'm going to give you several million dollars and uh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll either load up a Visa gift card for you or I'll load up a Timmy Hortons card for you. Which would you take? How many would take the Timmy Hortons card? See, there's some, enough, there's some coffee freaks out there. How many would take the Visa card? Woohoo! And the reason, of course, so many more options. I don't just want to eat millions of donuts, coffee. I'd like to be able to spend those several million dollars on anything. It seems to me, as I've studied this text this week, that the church at Corinth, if given this choice, would take the Timmy's card every time. They, they were somehow fixated on um, one facet of the Holy Spirit or maybe a couple facets of the Holy Spirit and were locked and loaded there. And in particular, as we study chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Chapter 13 gives us a, a little more of a hint, and 14 really plunges us into it. They were enamored with the gift of speaking in tongues. And uh, Paul, in, in what we're going to study today, is trying to set the record straight on the value of, first of all, the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the value of the variety of what the Holy Spirit does in the church. And uh, to get a, a, a balanced and biblical approach to the spiritual benefits, the spiritual assets that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your electronic device or however you look at God's Word, could you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And we're going to look at the um, question of how God builds His church from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And... Uh, from the very beginning, of course, in the title, we're calling this the Pneumaticos Church because the word that we encounter, first of all, is now about 
pneumaticos, as opposed to now about charismata. And there's a huge distinction between the two things. And we're going to look at that, but uh, we're going to talk about being the pneumaticos church, because that's what we want to be. Calvary Baptist Church, we want to be a pneumaticos church, as Christ has called us, has challenged us from his word here. So if you have your Bibles open, let's... Uh, Look at the text, starting at verse 1. Now, about spirituals, and by the way, I need to preface this by saying I'm going to read it uh, the way I think it should have been translated from original, so it might not be exactly the way you see it in your translation, but here we go. Now, about spirituals, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of graces, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized in one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God, in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healings, those able to help others, those with administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? We'll stop right there. And we, this is the word of God. We trust that he will bless it to our hearts. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, uh, your word sits open before us and there is often much confusion over these things in the church. There are, are blatant uh, acts of disregard toward this text. In the plain and literal understanding of it. There are many who still uh, follow either the Corinthian mistakes or other mistakes of omission. And Lord, uh, we ask today that because you have 
placed this before us, we ask that we would be truly a nomadicos church, as you're calling us to. That we would um, experience the full uh, blessing of the Holy Spirit and the benefits and assets that He gives, just as you've determined them, just as you will them, just as you want them to be, that we might reflect, Father, your desire for us. And I pray that in doing that, O oh God, that we would bring great blessing to you, that the church would be built up, that glory to Christ would be evident among us, and that uh, many would come to know Christ uh, through the obedience of the church to your will. And so, our Father, uh, as we think about uh, serving you and, and all that sets before us this week, the responsibilities that we have to our community to share the good news of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that we will not fall short of our responsibility or become lazy or inactive or think that others will do their thing. Lord, I pray that all of us will pray and call out to you with urgency, will serve you with passion, will give you our very best because our city is lost and dying Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, Lord, in Oshawa alone do not know you, do not know uh, what it is to have eternal life. And Lord, uh, that matters to us. And we know it is the, a huge burden and reality of your heart. So Lord, take us carefully into your word today and help us to uh, reorientate uh, anything in our lives that is not in alignment with the things of God from your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So really what the Apostle Paul is doing here in this next section, he's correcting the third of uh, three major errors. Last week we looked at two, uh, one more thoroughly than the other. If you remember the, the ignoring of the, the distinctiveness, the distinction in genders in worship, the, the uh, uh, mistreatment of each other at the Lord's table in, in, the, in the worship context. And now he's ta tackling the third of these major, uh, major malpractice in the Corinthian church, which is how they were handling the, the assets of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the best way I'd like to put it today. I want to talk to you about spiritual assets because I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is really talking about in this grand scheme of things when he says now about spirituals or now about pneumaticos. Many of your translations say spiritual gifts. If he, if he was saying spiritual gifts, he would have said pneumaticos charisma, but he doesn't. He doesn't use the word charisma here. So he's talking about the broader reality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, regularly when we come to texts like this, we become very anthropocentric we always think about what about me what about the human being and in truth the Word of God is always about God it's always about the glory of God it's always about description of the nature and person and work of Jesus Christ and this text is no different the highlight the focus the the spotlight of this text is is not so much on all of the neat things that we get to do for the Lord but the neat God that we have who gives us things to do that's the reality of the text and he, he orientates us there right from the very beginning now about the things of the Holy Spirit now about uh, what it means to be a spirit-led or spirit-directed church uh, that's what he's talking about here so now now about spiritual assets I want to tell you Paul says, I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ, how to properly use your spiritual assets. That's what this is all about. And so this morning, I want to look at six key realities about uh, the nature and distribution of spiritual assets uh, of the Holy Spirit within the church. And the first one is this. The first describes Paul's great concern for them with respect to the inaccurate treatment of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, a real issue with him, obviously, and should be with all of us. And I would say that the first thing in the first three verses here, the first key reality is this, that all spiritual assets build a case for the Lordship of Christ. All spiritual assets, to be legitimate spiritual assets from the living God, build a case for the Lordship of Christ. The Corinthian church was so craving the spectacular, the, uh, the stunning supernatural, and in particular the, the sign or the gifts of tongues, 
that uh, they were in danger of receiving anything without considering the content of the message. And of course, the gift of tongues, and I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna take, not going to take for granted that you know all of these things, so for some I may be saying things that you've known forever, and for others that may be new. The gift of tongues is, uh, is um, uh, a manifestation of the Spirit, whereby people speak in uh, language other than their own, um, words or, or uh, murmurings other than their own that other people can't understand necessarily. And so, the, the real danger here, and, and by the way, uh, the phenomenon of doing that is not limited to Christianity. There are any number of, of demonic and pagan religions that also have that same kind of, of supernatural utterance. And so Paul is saying to them, listen, um, you, you're so enamored by this gift to the expense of all of the other things that the Spirit wants to do in the church. And do you not realize that it's highly possible, based on your background, because you came out of idolatry, you came out of paganism, you used to be enamored by mute idols, now you're enamored by uh, certain things that you don't even necessarily understand. Do you realize that what could be being said is Jesus is cursed and you don't even know it? He's pointing out to them that, listen, you know, and we're going to find out that he's not uh, demanding them to to cease this activity, but he's saying to them, I I would rather steer you in the direction of being enamored by things that are intelligible, things that you can understand, the content of the message. I want you to know uh, who the Lord is, and and, uh, the first thing to go in any false religion is the high rank of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing to go. Uh, you, you can, when you're investigating whether something is true or false, when some religion is true or false, the first thing that you will notice about something that is off is the positioning of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, listen, I want you to know that if it's a spiritual asset from the Holy Spirit, it won't undermine Jesus Christ. It will lift up Jesus Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit is to shine the spotlight on the Lordship of Christ. So it is critical here that the church be built on the truth about Jesus and not on the basis of how much spiritual activity is happening. That's not necessarily a gauge of whether a church is healthy or not. The test is, it's not of God if it isn't true or against Jesus Christ. We must not be ignorant and gullible, Paul says, in any so-called spiritual manifestation, we can know the source by the content of the message. So steer toward the content. If the messenger is too truly Holy Spirit sent, then the messenger will know things about God, will know things about the truth of God, will know family things about God, will know his ways, will know his expectations, will know the gospel. When someone comes to you with a so-called spiritual, you need to ask them, tell me, sir, about my Jesus. And if they can't tell you about your Jesus, then they're not coming to you with a message from the Holy Spirit. Paul says this is a critical, critical area which he's going to expand upon and build upon in chapter 13 and 14, we'll look at in the coming weeks. The second, the second um, key reality out of this text here in, in the next verses, verses 4, uh, 5, and 6, is this, that the spiritual assets are sourced in the triune God and are intentionally varied and not just spectacular. I want you to notice in these verses there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. The contrast set up here is between same and different and variety. There's lots of variety, lots of difference, but it's the same God, the same triune God. Interestingly, he uses here uh, the, the three persons of the Trinity, the same spirit, the same master, the, the second person of the, the Trinity, and the same God. Uh, the Father. And so he uses the triune God as building his church. But there's more to the Spirit's work than just the spectacular and the miraculous that we crave. There are all kinds of things happening in the church. I'm going to do a little bit of a, uh, a, a review from last week, but here's, what's, here's the problem that's going on. If you 
uh, remember from last week. And basically, the Corinthian problem is still with us today. And the, um, the counter to that, sort of the, the, uh, um, the, 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 re, the actual uh, turning from that is, uh, is what's still available to us today. I'm going to point out to you what I mean by that. There, there are two basic um, concerns that he's addressing here. Um, the, two extremes. Remember last week I talked to you about over-realized eschatology? How many remember that? A few of you. Or are you just humoring me? No, you remember. Over-realized eschatology. You remember what that was where uh, the Corinthians are, are desperately excited and enthusiastic about what Paul has taught them. And in particular, they're quite excited about the age to come. They're excited about all the promises that God has given to us uh, in eternal life and in the eternal state with the Lord. And all the promises of no more dying, no more crying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more poverty. All of that in the age to come. The over-realized eschatology problem is that they have adopted the the, the, the truths of the, the age to come and have imported them into the present time and are holding God to his promises of the age to come to be promises for the present age. In other words, there should be no more sickness. There should be no more dying. There should be no more poverty. And so they were totally enamored with the miraculous and the spectacular and all the kinds of things that would lead them to these break-ins of the age to come, but they were wanting to settle there. They wanted all of that, and their expectations were, uh, if, if, we're really, if this is really the church of Jesus Christ, we're really the body of Christ, then nobody should be getting sick anymore. Nobody should be dying anymore. Nobody should be in poverty anymore. There should be no more gender distinctions. We should be able to do whatever. So that's the problem of over-realized eschatology that Corinth was embedded in. And the Apostle Paul is going to say to them, wait a second, there's so much more to the Spirit of God. And he is in charge of directing the affairs of the church. He's in charge of directing particular churches, local churches, and the way he wants them to minister and all of those kinds of things. This is not balanced problem is we overcorrect regularly and then there's this problem of under-realized eschatology and I put in uh, brackets Calvary and I don't mean Golgotha just outside of Jerusalem I put a question mark because the possibility in our tradition in our style of ministry that we can be guilty of under-realized eschatology which is quite simply we don't believe that the Age, that, that the promises of the age to come ever or if they ever do they rarely 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 would break into the present and so too many of us do not have faith to believe that that God may choose to raise someone from sickness in a miraculous way that God might choose to raise someone even from death in a miraculous way that God might choose to take someone from from po abject poverty into into wealth in a we 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 got we're so far over in the correction of over realized eschatology that we under realize eschatology and we freeze out all those other manifestations of the Holy Spirit and suggest oh they're not something that we should be involved the healthy church the pneumaticos church recognizes the prerogative of the holy spirit who gives out all kinds of different things in different times in different ways in different places to choose to manifest himself wherever with whomever however he wants to and I think that's what Paul is bringing all of us to when he says there are different kinds of graces or special capacities for supernatural action, extraordinary endowments that are given to certain people that are free and undeserved to do incredible things. And you re read examples of these in the text. There are also different servings, he says here, different service. The word is diakonos. 
the word with which we get the office of deacon. There are different servings where, where people give, uh, are compelled to serve the same master uh, with, um, perhaps with uh, their gifts, perhaps with charisma on par, but it's also on par with charisma. A cup of cold water given in, someone, given in Christ's name, a visit to a, a sick person, uh, perhaps a, a visit to someone in prison, changing a diaper in the nursery, that's, that's a holy work of God. It, there's no explanation why someone would go into that nursery and change your baby's diaper except by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit compelling them with this acts of service so that a, a weary and wearied mother can come in here and sit and hear the word of God and be encouraged and strengthened. And there are all kinds of things that happen. If, if, if you come into the church and, and, and uh, you see fuzz on the carpet and you just feel compelled to pick it up, that, that can be a, a Holy Spirit act of service to the Lord. And then there, it says here there's energomata, which is different effects or different workings of God, varied results, God's power in action, conforming men and women to Christ's likeness or or, or, or enacting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So all of this is, is, is at, at work in the church of Jesus Christ. I was saying there's so many things going on, the Holy Spirit's got going on in building up the church and, and, and demonstrating His great power. Now, by the time he gets through describing these things, he, he's going to tell them now, now, by the way, I need to correct something in your mind. You need to know something about who you are specifically. And, and he launches into verse 7 with our third uh, reality, our third key reality. And it is this, that every believer brings some spiritual asset to the table for the good of the church and the visible glory of the Lord. Every believer. In fact, verse 7 says, now to each one, or literally it says, each one. It's, it's placed in the original, in the, in the uh, emphatic position. Uh, this is a very, very important and key uh, uh, teaching for all of us to know. That if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have come into a personal relationship with Christ, each one of you has a manifestation of the Holy Spirit given to you that God might be visible in your life and the church of Jesus Christ might be built up. Every single one of you, if you know the Lord. This is a very, very uh, amazing truth. Um, each one is promised some manifestation. Now, it's important uh, in other places in the Scriptures it talks about gifts, but let's not lose sight of what it says here. It doesn't say each one of you is given a gift. It says each one of you is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Something. Gift, service, working of God, and these things all working together. Uh, something from or of the Holy Spirit, just, by the way, as He determines... We find that in verse 11, just as he determines for the common good. You don't find the manifestation, it finds you. God gives it. And we are all, therefore, we all bring something to the table that, the Holy, that puts the Holy Spirit on display for the benefit of the church. Through gifts, through serving, through energized abilities. Now let me make a point here. I've given a number of different texts. Wherever the texts are, are talking about um, the charisma of the Spirit, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and in this text, 1 Corinthians 12, I, I am pretty convinced, in fact, 95% convinced, how's that? 95% convinced, no, I'm taking it up to 99, because you have to leave at least 1% for flawed humanity. I'm 99% sure that the Bible does not describe all the possible combinations and permutations of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm pretty convinced that Paul gives in various places, and if you search the Old Testament as well, there's all kinds of things described, but I don't believe it's exhaustive in all the possible things that we could do for the Lord that would be manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and that um, is important. In a few moments, I'm going I'm to elaborate on that. But that's very, very important for us. 
And so we have here uh, descriptions. Some might have a message of knowledge. Some might have a message of wisdom. Some might have bold faith. Some might exercise gifts of healings. Nowhere in the scriptures does it ever talk about having the gift of healing. So I, I have um, great reservation in believing that, that there are what's called legitimately a faith healer. That, that this person you can come to and, and this person can claim to be uh, one who can heal people because they have the, the uh, resident gift of healing. You never see that in the Bible ever. It's always gifts of healings with the idea that, that these healings come upon. The, these healings come to someone, somewhere, sometime. There's no uh, promise that someone has a gift of healing all the time. It is gifts of healings. Okay? Break-ins from the age to come whereby we will never need to be healed again, sometimes by the power of the Holy Spirit, visit us somewhere, somehow, someone. That's all it says. The New King James Version is the only version that translate this, translates this accurately, interestingly enough. At the sole discretion of the Holy Spirit, now, you remember that I said this is not exhaustive. I don't believe it's exhaustive. And I, I know there's so many of, of us that we, we've spent so many of our years in angst, agonizing, what is my gift? What's my great contribution to the church and the great cause of Jesus Christ? Please, won't somebody tell me I've searched and I'm looking and I don't seem to fit. Listen, this whole journey for discovery is important, but doing is far more important just the, the, the Nike thing comes to my mind. Just do it. Just whatever. You're walking in here and you see like a tennis ball down there. It's just driving you crazy. You're like, this is, this is desecrating the gathering of the people of God. I have to do something about this. This is my manifestation of the Holy Spirit. and the building up of the church. I don't need to go and agonize all the time. What's, what's my, you know, am I, do I have prophecy? Am I administration? How is God using uniquely you to make it obvious that there is a God and he works through something you have that benefits the church? As you search the scriptures, there are regular times where God just simply pops a question and says stuff like to Moses, what is it you're holding in your hand? Moses was holding a shepherd's crook. Give that to me. And I will cause great and amazing and wonderful spiritual things to happen. Things like come to my mind like the wise men in this time in this season. What is it you can bring to the cause of Christ? Just bring it. Or what is it that you know how to do? The fishermen disciples come to my mind. Why do you think Jesus said to them, um, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Well, they knew how to fish. They knew what it took to catch fish. They know the patience, the energy, the commitment, the fact that they had to get in the boat and go find fish. Fish aren't on land. You have to go where fish are. It's what do you know how to do? Employ that as in the cause of, of Christ and the Spirit of God. Will, will enable you to reflect the truth of God and to build up the church. To me, um, it is more about willingness and committing ourselves to be engaged in something for the Lord than it is to find out precisely where my wheelhouse is. The Lord will steer you. The Lord will show you. The Lord will energize you. And you will find that what He gives you to do will be of great benefit to the church. 
There's a second or a fourth reality here, and that is this in verses 12 to 24, that the variety of spiritual assets makes God's case that true unity can only really be demonstrated in diversity. This displays the manifold wisdom of God, which you can read about in Ephesians 3.10. It brings Christ's glory. The church is a many parts operation and intended to do so. When you look through this section, uh, Paul over and over again, as if we aren't getting it, says, it, the body's made up of many parts. He, he says it so many different ways. And all the parts matter. And it's, it's really important because in this grand design of God and his manifold wisdom, he brings a diverse group of people into the cause of unity, not uniformity. Our, our, um, our, our unity is not based on uniformity. It's based and sourced on our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ our source in the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite uniformity places is the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. I can put on my Bruin jersey, get in my car, drive to Boston, go into that building, and I can look around and say, I'm with my peeps. Look, at they're all dressed like me. They've all got a Boston sweater on. They're all cheering for the same thing. And I'm like, this is true unity until you get to the parking lot until you're trying to go out and you realize wait a minute my brother wearing the Boston uniform from another mother why are you not being nice to me in the parking lot and then you realize that uniformity doesn't bring unity it's God's manifold wisdom to bring together this grand cause of diversity of people all indwelt by the Holy Spirit in this unity of body and cause of Christ. You see, if we are relying on uniformity for our unity, as soon as something doesn't go our way, disunity comes our way. As soon as a preference isn't my preference, then I'm going to break with the group. As soon as this Sunday doesn't match last Sunday, I'm like, well, last Sunday was great, but this Sunday's kind of a downer. And if next Sunday's a downer, I'm going to look for another church because it didn't meet my style expectations because my unity has been based on uniformity as opposed to our common reality in Jesus Christ, in the Spirit of God. And so he makes a big case here about our unity must be sourced in our authentic Christianity, not in our common cause or our tastes or preferences or our programs. Otherwise, disturbance and differences here will break us apart. And embedded in here, he gives this amazing reality of theology, verses 12 and 13. The body is a unity, says, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we, and listen, for we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. When? When were we baptized by one spirit into one body? When we all spoke in tongues? When we all had some manif other manifestation that we commonly held? When were we baptized in one spirit, in one body? When? You can answer this question. You must answer this question. At salvation. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment of salvation, you were baptized in one spirit, in one body. And then it says, and we were all made, whether you were a Jew or a Greek or a Canadian or whether you're free or a slave or whatever, and we were made what? To drink the same spirit. What is he talking about here? He is giving in human description because there's no other way. We can't understand anything but by human description. It's inadequate, but it's the best we have because it's given to us from the word of God so we can understand. But we are at salvation immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not because of some gift that we have, not because of some manifestation of the Spirit that we produce, but because we are part of the family of God. When we're brought into the family of God, we are all immersed in the Spirit of God, and we are made to drink the Holy Spirit. It's not enough that we're immersed. We have to take Him in as well. There's this, it's the only description that, it, that being immersed in something, being immersed in water and drinking it all in is drowning. We have actually being drowned in the Holy Spirit. That's the description of who we are. Not on the basis of what we can do or what we have done or what we have from the Holy Spirit, but because of the Holy Spirit, because of salvation, 
we are given this amazing picture of who we are, all of us. And, and so he says that it's unconscionable in light of that that you should be keen on one or two gifts of the Spirit and claiming that the whole essence of what it means to be drowned in the Spirit of God is wrapped up in this. And that's why he begins to say the exaggerating of one manifestation of the Spirit produces a monstrous body rather than a balanced, healthy body. He goes on to say, I can't say that I don't need it. You can't. He says, what would it be like if it was like a church was just a big eye? Many of us are big eye churches. We're watching you. If you step out of line, the eye sees. We're watching over all the other manifestations of the body of Christ. Look at them. They're not doing it the way we do it. He says, what would it be like? What would it be like if we were just a big ear church? That's all we were. Just listen. Sunday by Sunday, we come in and listen. We've loft, lopped off our hands long ago because someone might raise one in the air. We only listen at our church. We don't have hands. We listen. Sunday by Sunday, we come in. What do you do? Well, we listen. Listen to what? We listen to the Word of God. What do you do? Well, we don't do anything. We just listen. Paul says, um, this is not what the Holy Spirit has in mind. This is not describe the body of Christ. That's not how the body functions. Whether your manifestation of the Spirit is more upfront or more background, each contrib- contribution is crucial. A lot of people say, well, they don't really need me. They have so many people. Yes, every, everybody has something. You have been given something by the Spirit of God to benefit the local church, every single one of you. Absolutely, it's crucial. And he makes the point here that, that many of you have, have gifts that, that, that you utilize in very hidden ways in the church. Nobody hardly ever sees you. But Paul says here, these are so critical and so important. Think about your own body, the things that are actually hidden. They're really important stuff. Think about your heart. Your heart is hidden behind ribs, behind layers of fat and all kinds of other things and clothing and everything. But you know what? Some people more than others more hiding but you know what that heart is crucial to our lives we don't see everybody's brain I'm looking out here I don't see your brain can you imagine if you could see everybody's brain look like Toloshans see the brain out there no the brain is behind layers of thick skull some again thicker than others Because it's a vital, it's a very vital organ, right? You lose your brain. (laughs) You know what? I can't say everything I'd like to say when I'm up here on the platform. (laughs) Everything that comes to my mind, I just can't. Anyway, (laughs) you you lose your brain. That's a problem. So the contribution of everyone is critical, whether you're hidden or up front. Fifth, no one spiritual asset defines spirit-filled Christianity. See what he says in verse 28 and 30? And in the church of God, in, and in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, uh, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles. He goes on and on. Then he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? He makes a really critical point here. To suggest or to those who suggest that you aren't spirit-filled or you aren't even in the body of Christ unless you express some certain gift, there is no Bible to back that. In fact, Paul goes in completely opposite direction to prove that's not the case. When he asks those questions, what's the answer? No. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? In other words, in this whole room, we, ha- we have many gifted, serving workings of God going on. Some of you may have a duplicate of another person. And I really had trouble describing this in the first service, so I'm going to take another shot at it here. But when we take all of us here, there's no one gift that all of us have. Nothing. Not one gift 
that all of us can say, I can go down the line, you got that gift? Yeah, I got the gift. You got that gift? Yeah, I got you, 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 everybody. No, that's, he says it's not true. So therefore, you can't make any one gift the standard of spiritual excellence or of even entrance into the body of Christ. You see how absurd that is? It's, it's not scriptural. So no one spiritual asset defines spirit-filled Christianity. No one can make one manifestation the standard evidence. Finally, how do we know when we're clicking on all spiritual asset cylinders, when we're really a nematocost church, how do we know? In verses 24, 25, 26, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. How can we tell if we, Calvary Baptist Church, are a true nematocost church? It will be this way. Everything is spiritually contagious, whether suffering or rejoicing. We will honor the hidden parts of the body. We will honor those who do the things in the back rooms of the church. We will, there will be no division in the body. There will be the same care for each individual. When one person suffers, the body of Christ, because it's so connected, will suffer. When one person rejoices, the whole body of Christ will rejoice. Everything spiritual will be contagious among us when we are truly the Nematocaust church, not doing our own thing, but truly a cohesive, united body in Christ. That's the great vision of the Lord. That's what brings honor to Christ. That's what catches the attention and the eyes of the people who are lost to say, there's something way different about that organization, about that group of individuals. So, as we conclude this morning... Let me ask the very crucial question. What's your spiritual asset? And how are you using it? Importantly, what are you doing that demonstrates to people around you that there is truly a God and that builds up the church of Jesus Christ? If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have some spiritual benefit, some spiritual asset for those purposes. If you're saying to me this morning, Rick, you know, I've been listening, but I have zero desire to engage in this at all. This lesson for me this morning was kind of a waste of time. Then maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior. Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are compelled to manifest the glory of Christ in your life. You're compelled to do that. Whatever it is, you, you find you are drawn irresistibly to serve the Lord through some sort of grace through some sort of service, through some sort of working and energy of God. You may not know exactly how that looks or how it works and all of that, but you know in your heart that you have a desire and a drive to make Christ known and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, then we're having, we need to have a very different conversation than the one we've had this morning. We need to have a conversation right here after the service about how you can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior. Our Father and our God, we put before you the results of this Word of God, the study of this Word <clears throat> to the people of God. And we ask that you would take it and cause it to move our lives, move our hearts. If we are not engaged in a manifestation of the Spirit in our lives, then, Lord, only one of two things are happening. We're just lazy and not doing what we're called to do, or we don't know you. Either way, they ha that has to change. So, Lord, I pray that by the power and presence of your Spirit that you would draw all of your, your children who are here today into the service of the work of Christ, whatever it is. 
And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation or the desire to be immersed in the Spirit of God, drowned in the Spirit of God, for there is found eternal life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, when the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the Romans, he said to them in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, to the effect that I long to be with you that I might impart a spiritual gift to you. What was he doing? Replacing the Holy Spirit? No, no, not at all. He was describing what the Pneumaticus Church is all about. He was saying, my, I, my great desire is to come to you and take one of the things that the Spirit of God has given me and use it to benefit you, to build you up, to, to instill courage in those who are discouraged, to, to, to give hope to someone who's fallen on hard times with hope, to, to, to bring someone uh, into a, a boldness of their faith in the event that their faith may be becoming weary, or, or to to build someone up after the world has torn them down all week long. That's a pneumaticus church. We should be able to come here and expect that we impart a gift to someone and that they impart a gift to us or others impart a gift to us. That's how the body of Christ is built up and how the glory of Christ is revealed. So the question as we leave today is to think this through. What gift have you imparted today to someone in the body of Christ? And how has someone in the body of Christ imparted their gift to you to build hope, to build courage, to build faith, to build you up when everybody else has been tearing you down? That's a pneumaticus church that people notice. And if we have this grand desire for hundreds of people to get saved this weekend, it is absolutely imperative that we move in the direction of the pneumaticus church because it is in that church that the power of God's spirit is experienced in miraculous and powerful and mind-blowing ways. So we promise to pray for each other this week, right? We promise to pray every single day. Pray for the ministries of this week that God will move powerfully among us and help us all to exercise our giftedness, the assets of the Spirit of God for the community that we are living in. Our Father and our God, would you... Take these words now and uh, energize them into our hearts and into action, O God, I pray. As we leave this place this morning, might we impart on each other our giftedness for your glory, the building of the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.